Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zhu, Jeff Wright, back in the studio with you this week. Uh, Jeffrey, how you doing, man? Good to hear from you. Hey, I'm doing all right, Derek. I just want to say thanks uh, to Jump here for you recording on the boy last week. You kind of saved our bacon, uh, uh, our bacon here being our publishing schedule by doing that. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for shouldering that one solo. Oh yeah, man, no problem at all. Uh, if anybody's gonna have to watch a crappy movie and do it by themselves, I'd rather it be me. So <laughs> you got to see Lauren Cohen though, right? Like that's a bonus. That, that is true. That is true. She is. Uh, she's very easy on the eyes. Uh, anyway, this week we're going to be talking about, uh, I think, probably the craziest movie I've seen in, uh, in about six months, and that is Hereditary. It just came out last weekend, and whoo boy, uh, we got a lot to talk about, so we'll jump right in. Before we talk about Hereditary, let's talk about everyone's favorite part of the show, Jeff H. Trailers. And man, I've got a few trailers here, but I feel like that we've got a lot to talk about with Hereditary, so I really just want to hit two of them that I I know will uh, be important to this show. Okay. So the first one, uh, first one is going to be uh, film pull up. Uh, this movie comes out on July twentieth, two thousand eighteen. It is going to be the uh, the sequel to the uh, hilarious comedy Unfriended. This one is Unfriended Dark Web. Well, since you've seen the trailer on this, what did you think about it? I thought it was really funny. <laughs> okay, what did you think about the original Unfriended? I know we've talked about it, but I can't remember. Uh, I, I thought it was really stupid. Okay. Well, there yeah. there have been a couple of movies that took that theme. Uh, the other one, whichever the other one is, I can't remember what it's called, but it's on Netflix now, I saw. Oh, okay. Um, the one that's on Netflix I thought was awful. <laughs> I had a... I had I had low enough expectations that Unfriended was tolerable to me, mm-hmm. and you know I it, I tend to try to complete the set. However many movies they want to make, I'm going to show up and watch. So I'll go watch Dark Web. There's just if I don't go see it in the theater, it'll I'll watch it on home video. There's just really short of sickness. There's no way I'll avoid that movie as as goofy as it may be. Yeah. Um. I mean, the only way that I'll go watch that in theaters is if uh, we put up a poll and it wins the poll. That would be the only way I would do that. But, uh, I mean, I, I have no desire to watch this movie. Yeah. But, well, you know what? I say that, but Betty Gabriel is in this movie. Oh, yeah. And so that, that automatically raises it to I'll eventually watch it. It may not be in theaters, but I'll eventually watch it just to see Betty Gabriel. So That's a fair point, dude. She deserves all the attention. Absolutely. And if she's half as good um, in a piece of garbage like that as she wants to get out, then give her some more awards. Yeah, yeah. I'm still I'm still smart about the fact that she didn't get any kind of uh, award buzz this past year. You and me both, man. I, I thought a lot of the Oscars this year got got stuff right. You know, there's only a few times, the most notable being Best Film, that uh, I thought they really messed it up. But her not even getting mentioned is... I don't know. It's maybe more egregious than Shape of Water winning Best Picture, but that's one yeah. A and one B for me. Yeah, she really. Uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've doubted her praises several times on this podcast. Man, she just killed it. I put it in it and get out, and uh, yeah, really deserves some kind of some kind of supporting actress, e- even just to be thrown in the mix, even just to be nominated. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I, I don't remember who uh, who got nominated. I'm pretty sure Allison Janney won for I Tonya, but I forget who the other four were. But I'm pretty sure that I could probably throw one of them out and have a good like argument about the fact that I threw this person out of the, out of the race. I thought that Allison Janney was one that was comparable. And then the the other one was the lady who played Lady Bird's mom. 
Yeah, we're next out. That's it. I, I thought, hey, those deserve to be in the conversation. But the fact that they were and Betty wasn't is where things get egregious. So Yeah, absolutely. Also, points to you for using the word egregious, egregious twice on this podcast in Purdue. <laughs> I'm going to try to get it. I'm going to try to get double digits this time. <laughs> well, I think that might be egregious. <laughs> so anyway, man, uh, like I said, Unfriended Dark Web comes out July 20th of this year. And then the other one uh, that we actually shared on our Facebook group, We Saw Something Scary on Wednesday, uh, The Nun comes out September the 6th. And, uh, and Jeff, this thing looks terrifying. Well, I've read a couple headlines. That's as far as I was going to go with it. But I've seen headlines that say this will be the darkest Conjuring movie. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I'm there. Take my money. We've lavished praise on the Conjuring uh, very recently. Go check our archives for our wa- our watch through of that franchise. I'm guessing there's a world where they mess things up so badly. I stopped going to see their movies on opening night, but we're not there yet. So. Yeah, take my or take my movie pass. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I'm uh, pretty interested in that. I wanted to grab just a couple of thoughts from our listeners. Uh, let's see. So we put this up on our uh, we saw something scary fan page or our group page, sorry. And uh, we got two people that said absolutely. One person that said not going to happen. Uh, he's is pretty much checked out on the Conjuring universe. Oh no! Thought that yeah, thought that Annabelle creation was pretty weak and inconsistent, and uh, so he's he's done. But then uh, we also had two two of our listeners who said I'm down, willing to give anything in the Conjuring universe a chance. That was from Joey Webster. Uh, Emma Emma Nicoletti Nicoletti, geez, thrilling in the morning. Said basically anything could have followed the painting, and I would have been willing to give it a chance. Being in the trailer, uh, good trailer, still, but possibly a terrible movie. But at least they tried. So. I assume that that means she's going to give it a chance. Yeah, I, but, uh, that's how I'd read that too. Yeah. So you, yeah. what are your thoughts? Are you enthusiastic about this, or are you, you know, do you have trepidation? I, you know, I I had some trepidations uh, before I saw the trailer. Um, I I kind of go the the person who's checked out on the on the Conjuring was our our uh, buddy and, and uh, you know sometimes contributor Mike D. He's been on the podcast. Before. Oh, Mike, Mike D, you're breaking my heart, man. Golly, kind of. Gonna check out on the podcast, or she's trying to not check out on the podcast. Checked out on the on the uh, Conjuring universe, and I was kind of I was kind of with him, especially after we went through those movies a few weeks ago. Uh, I was just kind of like, well, you know, these are good, but eventually the the wheels are gonna fall off, and, and it's gonna it's gonna become uh, it's gonna become old hat. But after seeing this. This trailer, man, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll be good. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll probably try to go watch this in theaters. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely will do that. I'm assuming we'll end up reviewing it pretty soon after it comes out. Yeah, I think so. I think anything short of that would be egregious. So, hey, uh, you mentioned the Facebook group. I am really enjoying that group since we started it. I think we're up to like 35 members right away, and we're thankful for every one of them. Um, if any of our listeners are interested in joining, the quickest way to find the group is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we saw something scary. And we would love to uh, have you jump in there. Uh, I, I find it super fun to interact directly with other horror movie buffs. Um, it's a great outlet to like throw a link up that we may not share in the horror reporter or something, but people talk it over and it's a, it's also a great place for us to find stuff to share with our listening audience. So if you got a Facebook account, I realize Facebook's not particularly in vogue right now, but the Facebook group hierarchy or 
uh, architecture is the word I'm looking for there. Uh, the group architecture is pretty cool uh, in terms of helping people connect, and it's kind of an ecosystem unto itself. So uh, this is me inviting you who are listening to to jump in the Facebook group there and just share to your hearts a lot. I'm, I'm really enjoying what's taking place so far. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I think that I think that out of all the stuff that we do on social media, you know, the Reddit or the subreddit, uh, you know, all of our stuff on Twitter, Facebook, things like that. This has been the most fun for me. And it seems like it's it's the way that people want to reach out and, and connect with, with us and other horror uh, movie fans is uh, through this group. So I'm loving it. If you uh, if you guys haven't joined yet, uh, you need to because it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and like Jeff said, we put a lot of stuff on there that we don't necessarily get to in the episodes every week. So, uh, so come join us, won't you? Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, I know that we uh, we've probably already I well, I know that we've already talked about this and I know what your answer is going to be on it stuff uh, but the Halloween trailer went up uh, I think last week or the week before uh, since since we did the Babadook and uh, oh man it is awesome oh, that's great I'm I'm giddy just hearing that and and like you yeah I'm not going to watch it but everything that I have seen online where people were commenting on it, everybody seems to be very enthusiastic. And so I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the debut. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was kind of, kind of hesitant again on this one because it's Halloween and and (laughs) you and I have spoken about this before on some of our archived episodes. Halloween is great, but in the hands of the wrong people, it's not that good. Looking at so, you, Rob Zombie. Looking at you, Rob Zombie. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, but this man, this is this is really good, and I'm I'm very excited to see uh, how this thing turns out. Because if it's anything like this first trailer, it's going to be good stuff. So I have completely flipped from the idea that like you have Halloween one, Halloween two, basically leave it alone, you know, and it kind of like back to the future, like just make it uh, pristine and untouched. Nobody's going to do anything else with it to the idea now that unless you're a particularly bad creator, looking at you, Rob Zombie again, (laughs) the Halloween premise and the Michael Myers character is cool enough that you can just, you know, if you find somebody who's halfway competent, you can kind of refresh that thing and tell a cool story with it. And that's without me having seen a, a second of the footage so far. So uh, I'm very willing to be flipped into fanboy over this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like that's where we'll, we'll wind up. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to hear Derek and I talk about Halloween, uh, that episode is available in our archives. We we kind of gushed over the original for a while back in the day. And, and you know, the trailers and horror reporter stuff won't hold up. But if you'll skip forward to the review, uh, I think you'll enjoy that episode, too. Yeah. 100% on that. Uh, dude, that's all I got for Jeff H. Trailers. Wait. All right. Well, let's move on into Jeff H. Trailers. And I've got a bunch of stuff, even though it was a slow week for horror news. Um, so I'm going to try to plow through that as quickly as possible so we can actually talk about the movie. The The good thing is that several pieces of news actually connect directly to uh, Hereditary. So it'll be a nice segue. Uh, Derek, you mentioned on your review of The Boy that you and I were traveling extensively last uh, week. And uh, we're recording this early. So if any of the news that we're bringing out sounds dated, it's because we're recording this early because I'm about to hit the road again. But while I was in the car driving to Dallas, Texas and back, the the, the audiobook I was listening to was Dr. Sleep by Stephen King, um, okay. which is the follow up to his smash 
not only novel, but also movie, uh, The Shining, for those of you who don't know. And when I got back to a world where I could, you know, browse horror news sites, and I think you put this up and we saw something scary as well. Uh, I got the good news that Ewan McGregor was cast as Danny Torrance, the adult Danny Torrance, who shows up in Dr. Sleep. And if you're not remembering, listener, Danny Torrance is the little boy who experienced all the horrors of the Overlook Hotel um, in The Shining. We pick back up with him as an, as an adult and, uh, and and see where life is taking him in Dr. Sleep. So uh, I couldn't be more excited about the casting. You're, you're a big Ewan McGregor fan, right? I am. Yeah. The, the only Star Wars story that I want, now they can do whatever they want beyond this, but the only one that I'm like chomping at the bit for is him to do a standalone Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm delighted to see. I think this is perfect casting uh, for the character as I've encountered him in the book. And you know who's directing, right, Derek? Yeah, the man. The legend, Mike Flanagan. So we've seen what he's done with Stephen King's material already in the masterful Gerald's Game. Again, our review available in our archives. This is perfect creative talent working with really good source material. At least, you know, I'm, I'm probably three-fourths of the way through the book now. Uh, with with great casting, I, man, I really could not be more excited for this. I want this to come out like right now. Yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm really really excited about this movie. Uh, you got Flanagan, you have Ewan McGregor, and you got the uh, the sequel to The Shining. Uh, take my money, right? Like I'll yeah. I'll try to be there opening weekend for sure. Yeah, there's nothing missing from that formula, or at least from the elements that you just described. I mean this. Who knows? One of these days, I'm going to be disappointed by Mike Flanagan, I guess. But this sure doesn't sound like the time it's going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen this time. All right. So bring it on, Mr. Flanagan and McGregor. We want to see this movie right away. Y'all y'all get to work and get this done. Yeah. And hey, Mike, uh, if you need to come on and promote this movie, you know where to find us. Yeah. It, I think it'll be time for a fresh Twitter hit. Uh, yeah. Maybe after this episode, see what he see what he's got going or what he has in the schedule. I don't know what that sound came from, but uh, excuse us. (laughs) Hey, next piece of news. Hereditary. I don't know if you knew this. Hereditary was originally supposed to be a three-hour cut. Have you seen that? Holy smokes, no. Um, I just saw this on um, Bloody Disgusting. They were talking to Ari Aster uh, earlier in the week, and he said that it ran three hours long. And it had 30 additional scenes not present in the final cut. Oh, my goodness. Uh, He said in the original cut and in the script, the audience was forced to really stew. The breakdown of communication was chronicled in more pummeling detail. Look, dude, I feel like I did nothing but stew in the theatrical cut. Yeah. And I totally felt pummeled, you know, like I'd been in the ring with a a body blow puncher, uh, like a boxer. I can't imagine him saying it would be worse in the longer cut, but I guess that's his read on the thing. Um, he, he went on, nobody wants it to be a three hour movie. Let me just interject there. Are you sure about that, Mr. Astor? Uh, especially the, the distributor. The most important thing was pacing and finding that rhythm, which again, I'm going to interject here and say, I think he really did that well. Mm-hmm. The movie tells you what it needs to be. This was the best version of the movie, but the part of you that mourns the missing scenes tells you to announce that it was three hours long. Uh, John Squires, who was writing this up for Bloody Disgusting, said, we probably won't get to see that three-hour cut. Uh, Aster did an Ask Me Anything session over on Reddit, which I'll link to in our subreddit. And he was asked if, you know, that longer cut would be on the DVD or the Blu-ray. And he said, probably not. But, he you know, he did indicate that that DVD Blu-ray will have deleted scenes, but we won't get the longer cut version. 
Uh, I, I'm just going to go on the record here, Derek, and say I bet we do eventually get it if the footage exists because I think this movie is going to have legs. And I bet people will see uh, there's money to be made by giving us a longer version of it. Any yeah. thoughts? Uh, well, I hate, to, I hate to jump the gun on this, but if that's the case, man, I honestly probably don't want to see it because one of the hangups I had about this movie was I felt like it was too long. Like, I think if you if you could cut 15 minutes of it, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot better than I did. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, it sounds like you're tracking with Astor's sense of what was needful then. Yeah. Uh, but if if it, I mean, if it pops up, if they're like, hey, we're putting this on the DVD or whatever, I'll watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, even going into the movie, uh, because I had to watch it before I went to work, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll watch, I'll watch this one at such and such time because this movie can't be more than an hour and a half. And then when I checked the time, it looked at it was it clocks in almost two hours. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go to this early one because I'm not going to have time to watch this one and then make it to work. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, like I said, man, if if uh, if we get it, I'd be more than happy to watch it and even be more than happy to review it on this podcast. Yeah, uh, you know, because I, I do I do agree with you. I do feel like that this movie's going to have legs. I do feel like that we're. Uh, I do feel like that we're uh, we're in for this thing to <laughs> haunt us for a while. So you you know we'll probably see it before it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and my experience so far has been if I like the original, I will at least enjoy the first watch of the long cut. Sure. I'm trying to think of the last time that happened, but you know, even if it's just the attempt or the opportunity to compare it against the shorter cut, that first watch is usually really enjoyable. Yeah. So, all right. Last bit of news here, and then we'll get into the actual review proper. Um, just a word on what's next for Ari Aster after Hereditary. And again, this comes from uh, Bloody Disgusting, <laughs> Bloody Disgusting John Squires. He, he gives us all the good news. Um, apparently Aster is going to do a Scandinavian folk horror movie, <laughs> which my favorite. Yeah. You know, what was the one we watched on Netflix? That was a surprise hit where these guys go hiking for like their the annual ritual. bro party. Yeah. The ritual. Yeah. So having seen the ritual and having seen hereditary, sign me up, <laughs> take Scandinavian folk. Yeah. Let's go. Um, here's the synopsis. The movie's called Midsummer. Uh, and I'm trying to pronounce that specifically because it's not midsummer, uh, and my accent will probably betray me on that. <laughs> the plot summary is the story follows a young couple visiting an isolated Swedish village, which, by the way, let me just tell you up front, Swedish village is not a recipe for scary environment in my mind. So I'm really curious to see how they do this. Right. Over the course of their vacation, they discover that its residents participate in an eccentric set of seasonal traditions. The recent death of the main character's parents cast a sense of dread over the proceedings. So there you go. Um, okay. Aster said that eventually, though, he wants to move on from the horror genre. Um, he said he'd love to make a musical. He's also interested <laughs> in sci-fi. Um, I'll... I'll show up to watch the uh, the musical this guy directs. I thought uh, Hereditary, not to get too far ahead, but it was just really beautifully shot. And so, yeah, uh, you want to do a musical, man? Cool, I'm there. Show me, show me where I where I enter the theater at. Yeah, man, for sure. I I would be curious to see what kind of musical he would want to do. 
Yeah, you think more Sweeney Todd than uh, La La Land? Well, you know, I was thinking uh, the Phantom of the Opera has a has a sequel that's come out that's touring the country right now called Love Never Died. Oh. And uh, I thought maybe that might be something in his wheelhouse, but maybe he wants to go completely different. You know, maybe he doesn't want to do the macabre anymore and he wants to, you know, stretch his wings, which I, I applaud, man. You know, there's a lot of people who would, would uh, do a movie like this and just do these for the rest of his, you know, for the rest of his career. So kudos to him for wanting to try to do some different stuff. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about this more in the review, but I think this movie suggests that Astra could tell a really great story in a different genre. So mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to believe. Yeah, me too, man. So I, I look forward to that. I look forward to the Scandinavian tale and uh, also his eventual musical. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, man, that's all I've got. This has been this week's so are you ready to pull the curtain on Hereditary? Oh, man. I've been waiting on this for two weeks. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, hey, where do you want to get started? Uh, well, i tell you what. Why don't we do this first? Wahlberg! What? No! Spoiler alert. Hi. Now, now we're in spoiler territory, so we can just let it fly. Sounds good to me. Uh, man, I have no idea where to start at. This movie is... Uh, is is bat poop crazy? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I guess maybe we should start where I think both of you think praise is earned, and I'm going to suggest I think you'll agree that Tony Collette's facial expressions in this movie are. Uh, I think you'll agree with me that they're incredible, incredibly positive. I can't remember another movie where an actor or an actress basically kept me hooked in the movie and uncomfortable through just what they did with their face. And I would not have picked her to be like horrors Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. But holy cow, man, she was scarier just in the faces she made, like when she went from rage or horror or whatever. She was scarier in those things than a lot of the genre horror that we have covered on this podcast. A- am I wrong in thinking that? No, not at all. Do you think this is the kind of performance that gets her um, award nominations or victories? Is that possible? Man, I would love to say that it is. But again, you know, we go back to the whole Betty Gabriel thing. And, you know, Betty didn't get any kind of recognition. I mean, of course, you know, Tony Collette's a, a, a much well, or a much more well-known actress than Betty Gabriel was at the time. Um, and, you know, we, we did see a quote-unquote horror movie win Best Picture this year. So there, there's possibility. I think it's a, I, I think she would be a dark horse, a long shot. Yeah, but okay. I, think that there's, I think that there's possibility for it. Well, you've just laid out like my optimistic scenario. I'm hoping that Lady Bird getting so much attention will kind of crack the door where A24 has more credibility in front of the mm-hmm. Academy or whoever we're talking about, whatever group of voters. And that Tony Collette being a, a known quantity in some ways as a serious actress will kind of crack the door a little bit further. And the fact that a horror movie or thriller, um, I hate referring to Get Out as a thriller, but the fact that Get Out did so well will crack the door a little bit further. Um, who knows what the rest of the year holds? I'm not saying that Tony here should take away Best Actress but I'm hoping she at least gets recognized and, you know, picks up a couple along the way, maybe not an Oscar, but just some hardware that says, Holy cow, sister, you did something really incredible here. Cause she did. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, 
I, I think this movie was a wonderful, wonderfully cast. I feel like that everyone did their part very well to an extent. Uh, I think you and I talked about it off air that there was a couple uh, a couple times where Peter wasn't able to bring about the uh, the kind of emotion that he needed to bring about. But for the majority, you know, for the most part, man, everyone did a beautiful job on this. But um, yeah, you know, obviously this movie is is grounded and rooted in Tony Collette's performance, and and she just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely right. Um, I guess that's a good reason you need to, to kind of plow through the, the main uh, actors in this. Just rapid fire. So you already mentioned Alex Wolf's Peter. I think you and I uh, said if there's any weakness in the performances, it's probably with him. Uh, he wasn't given a whole lot to do at right. best, basically. He's, he's playing a character like three years younger than who he is right now. Um, would we say he's the weakest link or would we just say he was the, uh, you know, the, the, the least stellar performer? Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't say weakest link because there there are times where he he rises to the occasion. There, you know, there's several times where he does a, a terrific job and is really he's tasked to you know go from melancholy to terror to you know intense sadness to you know I mean like this isn't an easy easy uh, character to play for anyone, and uh, so he. I'd say 75% of the movie, he does a great job. But then there's that other 25 where I know just while you're watching them in theaters, I was like, oh, okay, this, <laughs> that's not the take you should have used uh, yeah. for that one. Or, or maybe it was. You know, maybe that's the best one that they could find. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely don't want to say weak link because, uh, he, you know, he definitely did. Uh, he, he did his part in, in the movie. I, I don't really think that there was a weak link in this movie. I, I think, uh, may, you know, maybe the chick that he's trying to hook up with at the party. You know, maybe she would be the weak link because she's given three lines. Yeah. You know, if we had to, if we had to come out and put a, a weak link in it, I, I just think that you know you've got Tony Collette at the top, and then everyone else is hovering around the middle because she's just this is a tour de force performance. Sure. And you know, we did a little beating up on Alex Wolf there. I, I do want to say to his credit. I really felt like he pulled me right into his head in the scene after the the accident that kills Charlie when yeah when he pulls to the side of the road and you just see him looking in the rearview mirror and that tear falls down the side of his cheek um I felt like I was living in his shoes and when he went home and laid down to sleep and they do that like time passing and he just hears his mom go crazy mm-hmm. uh Again, if anybody's got to be singled out as like being the least best, he's the guy. But in that little section of the movie, I don't know that anybody could have done it better. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, actually, I wanted to talk to you about that. I mean, God forbid anything like that ever happened to any of us. But I mean, do you just feel like that the weed had him, and he just he just panicked and didn't know what to do? So he's like, oh, I'm just gonna. Just gonna drive home, and maybe it's all a bad dream, or uh, or you know, or do you think he was just in shock? Or because I, I remember watching that scene and just being like, dude, why aren't you calling the cops? Like, <laughs> yeah, aren't you? You know, I mean, clearly this wasn't your fault. It was an accident. There was a lot of different things that were going on. Yeah, you were high, but well, you know, unless they smell it, unless they smell it on you, they're not gonna be able to. Uh, you know, unless they have you pee in a cup. Like, yeah. I, I guess I guess I just couldn't understand his, his uh, choices on that. Well, let me let me see what see if my read on it made any sense. I think more than the weed, he had left Charlie alone with uh, a cake or whatever it was that he encouraged mm-hmm. her to eat that put her in. Uh, I can't remember the medical term, anaphylactic shock or whatever it is, where she's having an allergic reaction that's causing her throat to close and. In that way, what I read him doing is being covered with shame. 
and experiencing the horror of something that no matter what he does next, it can't be fixed. And it also can't be worse. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if he calls the cops, that doesn't fix anything. If he doesn't call the cops, it's not going to be any more catastrophic because it's already maximum catastrophic. I think what happened is the shock and the shame of his choices that night put him basically in emotional shutdown. And he just went home to lay down to wait for the moment, you know, the inevitable moment where it would all, you know, all the cascading events that were going to be repercussions of this moment started to unfold in his life. And I'm with you. My personality, I think, is like I try to impose order on chaos. And so I would have called the cops, mm-hmm. you know, and, and asked them to call my mom or whatever. That's just how I try to deal with it, because it's my coping mechanism to say this is what I can do. So I will do what I can. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But I think for him, yeah, you know, he, he clearly cared for his little sister. I thought one of the most tender things was him carrying her out to the car. Like she had him koala yeah. hugged up and he's yeah. hustling her out to the car and rushing home. This is a guy who he may have been an idiot that night at the party, but in general, he was a good big brother. Right. And what happened to him was just too much. And all all that he could do was kind of stumble his way home, lay in bed and wait for circumstances to overtake him. That's my read on it. You, you do with it whatever you want. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. And honestly, I, I mean, uh, I don't know where, where you want to go with this, but honestly, you know, that was you saw the symbol on that telephone pole that is, uh, you know, King Payman's. Yeah symbol. Uh, so I feel like that they almost set this whole thing up uh, as a way to beat Peter down so that payment could enter his body. Uh, I think you, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Because uh, I, I guess, I, I, again, I know that we're probably going to be all over the place with this, but I, I guess now is the best time to, <laughs> to bring this up as, as possible. But, you know, uh, Aster has went ahead and revealed that Charlie was actually the vessel for King Payman from the minute she was born. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and of course, Grandma Ellie talks about the fact that, or, you know, Charlie talks about the fact that Grandma, Grandma Ellie looked at her at one point and told her, I wish you were a boy. And, and then know, when we and, see that knitted blank, uh, pillow she made for Charlie, it said Charles. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Ellie obviously tried to tried to sacrifice her son to payment. Uh, you know, something that Al, uh, Anne talked about in her uh, in her first brief therapy session. And Anne's, uh, Anne's brother wound up killing himself because, you know, mom was trying to put people inside of him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, now we know that was, you know, she was trying to put payment in there. Uh, and then, you know, payment was in Charlie. And, and, you know, that's why she had the, the creepy clicking and, the you know, cutting the bird's heads off and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, they say that Eamon needed a boy. And so this is, I think this was step one in wearing Peter down enough so that uh, payment could enter the body. I, I'm with you. I, if you'll let me though, I've got some stuff on payment that I'll, I want to kind of dive into a little bit deeper. So yeah, let, let's put a pin there, finish up with Gabriel Byrne and, and Millie Shapiro, and then let, we'll jump hardcore into the like supernatural craziness. Okay. Uh, Gabriel Gabriel Byrne is the guy that I feel the most sorry for in this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. You know he's a he's a guy. He's a you know he, he's a man who obviously uh, loves his family, loves his wife. He's uh, grieving his daughter. Is trying to figure out what the H is up with his wife. You know, and 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 the fact that she's apparently going crazy. Is trying to comfort his son. Trying to keep the family 
together and you know while the wheels are just falling off this entire thing and out of everyone that dies in this movie i was the most upset about gabriel burns just like come on man just let this dude go let him, <laughs> let him have a happy ending the whole rest of the family can you know whatever's going to happen to them but let this guy get out and unfortunately that that dream of mine went up in flames <laughs> quite literally yeah. um yeah i'm with you man like that's when the movie so when charlie dies is one of the times where i'm like oh my gosh this movie is inescapably bleak yeah but the last hope you had of anyone surviving this thing is watching him catch on fire um i, I just want to praise gabriel byrne and i'm sure Astor too but I want to praise him because I think a, a lesser performance has you thinking that this dad is a deadbeat checkout who mm-hmm. circumstances, again, have overwhelmed and he just doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with them. But Gabriel Byrne plays him so well that you come away with a guy who, like you said, is trying to be a calming, stabilizing influence for his family. And he's working really hard to do that, even when things go further and further off the rails. And you know, if, if if they play him as a checkout, then my thought is, you know, to heck with you, dude. I can't stand you. But the fact that they played him as someone who was trying to be kind of a safe harbor for the various people uh, in his life who are hurting while he himself is hurting in a way that's unimaginable, I thought made him deeply sympathetic. And, I, you know, Gabriel Byrne is an incredible actor. I don't know if a lesser actor could have got you there emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh you know, uh, I said earlier that everyone else is kind of hovering in the middle, and you know, Tony Collette's at the top with a, a very tour de force performance. And I, I think that the the second best performance in this movie is Gabriel Byrne, and it's it's understated, but you just you can tell a lot through uh, through his facial expressions as well, even as just the worn out like, my God, what's going to happen to my family next kind of facial expressions. It seems mm-hmm. like you know he has through this entire movie. So yeah. And then lastly, uh, Millie Shapiro, uh, there's some stuff that I think lets her be a good transition into the like supernatural plot details. But I just want to say, while she didn't have a ton to do in this movie, she basically was told to play the awkward, uh, you know, adolescent. She did a really good job, and I think she deserves commendation for that. Um, I, I don't want to minimize that because she she had kind of a one-note character to play, that mm-hmm. she as a young lady played it very well, very competently. So kudos to you, Millie. Uh, anything else you got to say about her there, Derek? No, man, she, uh, yeah, I guess for, you know, being what, like her second or third uh, kind of acting gig that we know mm-hmm. about, she, she does a she does a great job. And, uh, you know, she's visually striking yeah. anyway in this movie. and. You know, granted, she's not asked to to do a lot, like you said, but she does really well with what with what she's given. She she reminds me a lot of uh, another Millie, Millie Bobby Brown, mm. in Stranger Things. You know, she was given Millie Bobby Brown was given a lot to do with Eleven in the first season, and she didn't have a lot to say. Right, she didn't have a lot of of dialogue, and, and I kind of feel the same way with Shapiro. She's she's given this quirky, uh, obviously demon-possessed character to to play. And, you know, I, I don't think that me at 11 or 12 or how old she is, I don't think I could have done that. Sure. I don't, you know, or at least not to the uh, to the extent that she did. 
So, yeah, just uh, another great performance, man. Like, like I said, man, I think everyone in this movie does a great job. Even the lady that plays Joan, I think she kind of almost feels some of the, a lot of scenes that she's in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, she's not getting a lot of, from what I've read and stuff, she's not getting a lot of praise, but, you, you know, she she's the one person that was like, oh, yeah, this this chick, she's, uh, she's doing a great job. So, yeah, he, wonderfully active. Yeah, the, with Joan, just to, to riff off what you're saying there, obviously she, she goes from a grandmotherly character to one that's very, very sinister. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a good job of not giving her hand away. Yeah. Um, you, you're the, you know, horror movie whisperer. You, you see all these things coming, but, um, I thought until we see inside of her apartment, basically you don't, you don't realize she has sinister ulterior motives unless you're connecting the dots on her relationship to, um, Annie's mother, but that comes a little bit later too. Like before you know, or at least for me, before I knew those additional details, I just saw her as a concerned AA member, you know? Yeah. Uh, the first time that I realized she and Grandma Ellie were in cahoots was the doormat. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, you know, and Annie's like, oh, yeah, my mom used to do stuff like this. And, and you can kind of see Joan get caught off guard by that. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, picks it right back up. And, and I immediately, I think that, uh, full disclosure, I was in the theater with like three other people. And uh, mm-hmm. so I immediately texted Jeff and was like, hey, this is what's about to happen. Yeah, that's <laughs> Grandma and Joan here are in cahoots together in some kind of double cult. That's all I know right now. And then went back to watching the movie. So Yeah, he did indeed. Um, okay, well, so with Charlie, she is the bridge to the supernatural stuff. And if you'll indulge me, um, well, actually, before we leave her, I just want to point out that we're really privileged to be living in a rich age for young horror actor and actresses. So we've already talked about Stranger Things. If you've listened to our podcast, you know we love Muschietti's It. Uh, we got Lulu Wilson from Ouija Origins and Annabelle Creation. Uh, I think you can throw Miley or Millie Shapiro in there. Uh, we're we're well stocked right now with people to to play uh, young kids in horror situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, you know it, it's a lot like what we were talking about before. It's a uh, it's a pretty cool time to be uh, a horror fan, and you know it feels like that it's not the same. Like, what would you say, Jeff? Fifteen twenty years ago, everyone was a buxom ingenue yeah. who didn't have much acting talent, who would always get cast in in horror films, and now it feels like that we have incredible directors, incredible writers, and incredible actors who are willing to do these horror films and really uh, really make them pop. And uh, it's good to see all these young horror actors and actresses uh, that are really just changing the game, my opinion. Should we say they're killing it? Uh, yeah, I tried to avoid it, but I, I love that you went back to it. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, here's me. King. I'm, I'm not King Paymon. I'm King Lame Comedy. Um <laughs> Speaking of that, though, coming out of King or out of this movie, King Paimon was something I was really interested in because I like reading mythology. I like reading, um, you know, occult stuff. Uh, I used to worry about the librarians at my local library being like, "There's something wrong with that kid because he checks this stuff out." <laughs> so, thinking through King Paimon, I didn't know if this is something Ari Aster invented or if there was actually, you know, real um, mythology around him. Well, lo and behold, Josh Milliken on Dread Central wrote a piece where he said, I wondered, is King Paimon an invention of Ari Aster, or does this have actual biblical roots? Um, and it turns out there is a lot of mythology around him, and so I'm just going to plow through that real fast in case anybody else has interest there, and I'll also put the uh, the article from Milliken up on our subreddit and social media. Actually, no, I'll put it up on our subreddit, and we saw something scary. So if you, if you want to get a link to it, check out one of those two places. 
Um, but just quickly from Milliken, um, King Paimon is indeed a documented demon whose name appears in numerous 12th to 17th, 17th century grimoires. Um, I'm not going to try to read the name. Some of them involve Latin. And while I have taught Latin, it was only first form. And my accent will betray me on this one. But nonetheless, <laughs> lots of old books have his name in it. How, how does that work? Um, let's see. The uh, most extensive description of him comes from the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is a Latin text published in 1641. He is confirmed to be a king, uh, subservient to Lucifer. He rides a dromedary, which is an Arabian camel, and he has a big crown on his head, surrounded by hordes of devotees, uh, clamoring for his praise and playing musical instruments. Apparently, when he speaks, his voice is a mighty roar. Um, the gifts that he gives are basically wisdom connected. So Paimon can teach arts and science, uh, secret things, what the earth is made up, what holds the waters, what the mind is. Um, this is me uh, kind of roughshodding over a more old English text. Um, basically, he's the guy who unlocks secrets. And so knowledge is his, the thing he offers back to his worshipers. Um, apparently, he has a very feminine face, uh, which is surprising. I mean, not surprising in that Ari Aster went and picked a really good, uh, you know, demon for his movie. But I just thought that was a great detail that this is a, a male mm-hmm. demon with, with a fem- feminine face. Uh, he's apparently the ninth. I think they call him the seventh in the movie, but in the Goetta, he is the ninth ranking uh, demon, 22nd in another one, third and sixth in another one. So whatever whatever he is on the depth chart, he's super powerful. Um, and anything else here that I thought that was real? Oh, there, there's, there's uh, a website that exists where uh, he's continuing to receive worship. Uh, the the creator of the site goes by Renav and talks about knowing Paymon and uh, having him teach her stuff. She said uh, Milliken cited one thing she wrote on the on the page about how she interacts with him. I construct a circle, light my candles, and call the elements. I had his sigil in front of me, right? A scrying mirror and a paper with my dedication already written. Then I burned the dedication. While the paper's burning, I looked at the mirror and saw his face crystal clear. I felt the need to kneel before him, so I kneeled and started to cry. must have cried at least 15 minutes when I felt something touch my head and say, Redemption, my daughter, stand up. So, you know, do with that what you want, but there's people out there still worshiping this guy and apparently thinking they're interacting with him. Got a cold chill. Yeah, dude, it's not it's not a happy it's not a happy thing to read. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I say that I, I'm not an agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I, I believe, as I've talked about in other episodes, I believe in a supernatural world. I believe that world is populated by what we call demons, and as a result, I have no doubts that Renev could be in contact with a hostile superintelligent. Uh, excuse me, supernatural intelligence that she may feel like she's on good terms with, but represents a really uh, incredible danger to her. So yeah, yeah, for sure, man. That's oh man, that that's almost terrifying. Well, I mean, that's more terrifying than the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, because this is much closer to the real world. I mean, this whoever's running this website, I didn't like run it through GoDaddy or who is, but they could be living next door to you. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, well, hot dog. Uh, I can't wait to have Renaz come to the Dolly Parton Stampede and teach me about payment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're listening, Renav, uh, thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. Please forget you know anything about us. <laughs> uh, 
apologies if you thought you were going to get a uh, an invitation to our members-only luncheon that we're going to have in October, <laughs> uh, but that's not going to happen. Well, <laughs> with that as the bridge, uh, looking back on this movie, I, I do think you're right that Charlie is a temporary uh, you know, unpreferred vessel for King Paimon from her birth. But I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that there are times when Charlie's authentic human personality is fighting back more or driving the ship a bit more? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it does seem that way at certain, at certain parts. You can tell that there's, there's a struggle going on between her because, you know, there's certain, there's certain things you'll watch her do where you're like, that seems really out of character. But then, you know, she goes right back into that behavior. So yeah, yeah, I think I would say that. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I respect your opinion. I think the scene after the funeral where she's laying in her bed wrapped up in that white shawl. It's the only time we see her wear white. You remember, she's basically always in orange, which I think is supposed to correspond to that loft in the treehouse where when the heaters come on, it looks like, you know, there's orange flame in there where where eventually the cult gathers and you see Charlie's uh, decapitated head on, you know, what's the, yeah, Pike sort of standing in as Paymon's physical representation. So most of the time she's in orange. I think most of the time Paymon is driving the boat uh, of Charlie. But I think in that bedroom when she's wrapped up in white and she's really conflicted and she seems scared and and she does say, I want grandma. So I think there's some internal conflict. But I think that's probably the last time we really saw a glimpse of Charlie as Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, another question with Paymon, that lens flare effect where like light kind of moves down the room or gathers up in one place. Yeah. That's Paymon, right? Like that's that's him when he's not in a body. Or at least that was my read. I'm I'm curious if you see it that way. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like that's that's definitely what was going on. And because, uh, you know, of course, that light um, encompasses Peter after he's thrown himself out of the out of the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was the read that I was getting on that as well. That that was that was Paymon in uh, what astral form, I guess, would be the proper terminology. Yeah. Yeah. That I think is the right terminology there. Um, what do you make of that clucking noise she used to make? Uh, man, I don't know, but let me tell you a freaky, freaky story. Okay. Uh, um, so I went and watched this last Friday and uh, watched it during uh, during the day. Like I said, it was a matinee. There was three people in the audience, blah, 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 blah. So I go to work that night, and we're doing our first show. First show's over, and my character goes into the gift shop and um, and greets our, our customers as they come through. As I'm and as I'm on to do, like I'll I'll, uh, I'll you know like little kids come in and stuff. They want pictures. I'll squat down and talk to them, and you know we'll have a good time and stuff. So this little this adorable little blonde-headed girl runs up to me, and uh, I squat down, and she gives me a hug, and we're talking for a little bit. We take a picture, and her mom goes, "Okay, I forget the girl's name." Like, "Okay, Sally, what do you say to Skeeter?" And this girl turns and looks me dead in the eyes and goes. And then just walks away. Uh uh-uh. And I was like, am I on a prank show? What's happening here? Dude, I, I would have had to throw my pants away. <laughs> Y'all, Skeeter had an accident. We got to. I almost got, almost got fired for punching a kid. That's what almost happened. Dude, that's no funny. Uh, mm, mm, okay. I'm sorry. Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. I, I really don't know how I would have reacted to that. That would have thrown me off of character, I think, pretty much for the rest of the night. <laughs> 
yeah, it was nuts. Uh, I hope it never happens again because if it does, I'm I'm going to quit that job. <laughs> so I'm I'm making myself a note to to text your family, and the next time you're, uh, you know, the, the younger members of your family greet you, they should do it with a cluck. Yeah, for sure. Well, on that cluck noise, uh, there is a guy on Reddit who did in the horror subreddit. He just said, "Hey, here are my thoughts on watching Hereditary, uh, Hereditary the second time." And I want to give him credit for this. The username was Good Kid, spelled G U D K one D. And I'll also link to this one. But he said, and I think this is a provocative theory that the the clucking noise is a reference to Paimon being depicted as riding on a camel and sort of the sound of a camel's hooves drawing near. And that he said on the second watch, when Paymon takes full control of Peter, when he starts bashing his head in the desk, that you hear the cluck noise speed up and you hear it more frequently. And that he thinks that's the sound of Paymon drawing more near. And I think that's a pretty good theory, but it also kind of terrifies me for you with your work environment, contacting or connecting with that young lady. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. that, That terrifies me. But, uh, that's an interesting theory for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know what else you want to do on the supernatural stuff here. I did have a theory for a minute, uh, watching through this movie after the, uh, you know, after Annie goes to group therapy and kind of lays out their family history. I thought for a minute that Joan may have been, uh, a personality that was emerging from Annie's own mind. You know, she said that Annie said her own mother had DID, which I understood to be disassociative ID, uh, identity disorder. And I thought, oh, since this movie's called Hereditary, Annie may have inherited that. And the trauma of what has happened to her family is causing this consoling, protective, guiding personality to emerge and be distinct from her. Uh, Obviously, I was wrong, but that was a theory I had going for a while. Uh, That's the only alternative, though. Um, So with that on the record, what did you want to talk about the plot or the supernatural details of this movie? Let's see, man. Well, uh, you've got it here in your notes that the only movie you could compare it to is The Witch. Yeah. Uh, let me submit to you this. I feel like that another movie you can compare it to, and and not based on the movie itself, but the visceral feelings that I got from it, was Mother. Yes, Derek. And in fact, I almost texted you that when I got done watching it. Mm-hmm. What stopped me is this movie, in my mind, is so infinitely superior to uh, mother. I didn't want that like in your head while you're going to watch it. Yeah. But yes, in terms of just feeling like you're on a roller coaster and you're getting hit in the stomach from unexpected angles. Yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, the the one real contrast though, that I think speaks to how well Ari Aster made this movie is that there is a constant stream of dramatic action in mother, you know, from the moment that basically the, the party breaks down and everybody comes in the house you're just assaulted by like rapid fire graphic images and loud noises. I felt this way in a movie that was much more subdued and basically stayed locked in on people's faces for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, yeah, you're right on. It, it certainly does the same thing to your guts. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, I, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it evoked the, those kind of reactions in me, not probably to the extent that mother did, right? Like you and I, obviously, if you, if you haven't seen mother and you want to hear Jeff and my take on it, you can find that episode in our archives. But, uh, you know, I feel like that you and I both walked out of there going, what the freak did we just see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I definitely felt that way about this movie. I'm with you entirely. Um, um, yeah. I, I'd suggested The Witch. I, I didn't realize at the time that it was also an A24 project. 
but I suggested The Witch because it kind of keeps you guessing for a while. And it's also a movie that when it's time for the guessing to end and it's going to tell you what's going on, it ramps the crazy up to 15. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I joked with you about uh, I just gotten out of the warlock. I think is what I told yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, and it's the truth. It's, it's long stretches of time where we're we're building, uh, you know, character arcs and and building story and laying, uh, you know, laying the foundation, even the backstory and things like that. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. they flip a switch and things go back crap crazy, and it never lets up. Absolutely, uh, which is. I mean, it's just the thrill of watching this movie. I put in our notes that this movie would have worked without that like supernatural ramp up where mom's running around on the ceiling. (laughs) This would have worked as like an indie drama about broken families that you would have found on Netflix or Amazon Prime Video that have like killed at various film uh, festivals. Yeah. But then that ending <laughs> just takes it to a different level and a different category, I think. Hey, let me ask you this. And, and uh, this is just something that kind of popped in my head. But you uh, stew on it for a minute if you need to. Do you think that subconsciously Annie was trying to protect her kids by killing them? You know, she, she hmm. sleepwalks at one time and she douses paint thinner on them. You know, and she's, she's struck a match and she's about to, I mean, she's about to basically kill all three of them. When Peter wakes up, screams and wakes her up and, and uh, you know, they all kind of come out of that. And obviously that, that drives a wedge in between their relationship. But I, I don't know, man. I was just sitting here thinking like maybe that was just subconsciously her being like, well, if I get rid of the kids, then this demon has no vessel. Uh, you know, and obviously she she knew nothing about payment to, to my knowledge, but I you know, maybe it was just a subconscious thing where she was like, I have to protect my kids. That's a really provocative theory. I, I haven't considered it at all, but it makes a ton of sense. In that vein, you remember when um, the, the boy Peter is laying in bed and we're getting really close to things going full bonkers. He sees uh-huh. Charlie in the corner and like her head falls off, but a ball yeah. rolls over to him. And then he starts feeling like he's being choked from behind the headboard. Right. And he wakes up and he says, Mom, why were you choking me? Do you think she was choking him? I don't. Okay. What do you think was going on there? Because Paymon wouldn't have any interest in killing him. I, I think that that was probably just another thing to wear Peter down. You know, the the thing that I've read the most is, is that uh, Paymon had to wear Peter down so that he was weary enough that Paymon could, uh, could attach himself to him, basically, you know, possess his body. And I think that that was just another way to drive a wedge in between their relationship mm. and also uh, a way to wear Peter down enough so Paymon, you know, and, and maybe even it was Paymon who was trying to, like, uh, you know, uh, he's he's only half dead. Or what was that line? In, uh, he's only a little dead in the Princess yeah, Bride. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that was what Paymon was trying to do so that he could enter that body from there. Uh, hmm. But no, I don't think that I don't think that uh, Andy was trying to trying to choke him at that point. Or, uh, do you uh, do you have a different take on it than I did? No, I was just curious because they they leave it ambiguous enough that you like I said I, I didn't think of Paymon trying to kill him outright. Um, as something that would be consistent with what I know about Paymon's desire to possess him. But your idea that it's wearing him down or it's, I guess with him, it could be something subconscious too, where he's picking up on like malicious forces are circling me, trying to take my life. Uh, I just, yeah, it was just more of those like, what do you think was going on there? Your idea about Annie having a subconscious sense that she needed to, to get rid of these children basically for their own good is really provocative, and uh, I don't know if the text of the movie itself gives us enough data to say yay or nay, but I'm going to assume that's what's going on until I hear otherwise from now on. 
yeah, I mean, it's and and it totally is just something that just just kind of clicked, you know, as we were as we're talking about it, uh, something that just kind of clicked in my head. And I could be I could be way off on that, but at the same time, this movie is crazy enough that you would think that that could be a possibility <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, I find it really compelling. So listeners, uh, you, you've got theories and you've got conclusions as well. Get at us on We Saw Something Scary. I know Jody Webster and some of our more frequent contributors, I'm sure you guys have something to say on this. So let's get in on that. Hey, the, the last thing I got, Derek, uh, and then I kind of let you wrap up with whatever you've got to. Um, if, if our listeners have heard many of our episodes, they know that I hate it when a horror movie is labeled a thriller. And I think that's sort of a cop out that people who feel embarrassed to say I enjoyed a horror movie go to to kind of distance themselves from from the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Honestly and truly, though, I feel like this movie is the I, I think it's a horror movie. But I think if you're going to classify a horror movie as a thriller. I think this movie is the one uh, because so much of the movie, really nothing scary is going on. There's odd stuff. There's weird stuff. Uh, The the scary stuff, which is legitimately scary for most of the movie, is Tony Collette's facial expressions. But I felt like I was going to be hit from any direction, any moment, um, right up until the time I saw Annie running around on the ceiling. And in that sense, this was a movie that thrilled me. It was a thriller in that in that way. Think I'm crazy? No, not at all. I, I completely agree with that. You know, I think initial reaction, you and I, uh, you and I spoke right after I got out of the theater. As a matter of fact, I was pulling out of the movie theater and I, I called and we kind of ran the, the, uh, the question by that we try to answer every week on the show, right? Did we see something scary? And, uh, my initial reaction was no. So I definitely think that there's, uh, there's a lot of thriller aspect to this. Um, it's a, I, I think it falls into that category of a good, a decent to good movie with horror elements involved in it instead of just a straight up horror film. Yes. And I mean, I, I want to own that, like a kid being demon possessed by a ghost that used to live in his sister who he killed on a you know midnight drive. All that is very much horror. I don't want to minimize that. But I just think it's an interesting point that so often these movies are when they're successful are labeled as thriller. And this one actually works as a thriller until the horror element gets tack, tacked on like four fifths of the way through the movie. Yeah. Um, what else you got here, Derek? What have we not covered yet? Man, I, I kind of feel like that that's that's about it, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, we've ran through my notes. Other than box office, um, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this going, how could you guys not talk about XYZ? Uh, well, we yeah, managed. And, hey, it, uh, and I was just going to say, if you do feel that way, hit us up on our Facebook group and we'll chat about it there. That's exactly where I was going to. Uh, yeah. Our takes aren't definitive. We hope they provoke, you know, they provoke thoughts within your own mind and you resonate with some of them, but we don't think we cover everything. So get on there and enlighten us. I'd love to hear more about this movie. I think everybody who sees this movie wants somebody to talk to about this movie right away. And yeah, yeah, the the Facebook group can very much be that. Yeah. Um, uh, In that, in that same sense, uh, Lucy Southwell, uh, she, uh, she texted me, I think Monday and she said, Hey, I'm going to try to watch hereditary tomorrow so that we can talk about it. And I said, well, you know, just be prepared. Yeah. And after she saw it, we probably spent a good 45 minutes trying to deconstruct everything that was going on um, in that. So, so you're definitely going to want to watch, I mean, you're definitely going to want to, um, 
you're going to watch, you're going to want to watch this movie and then you're going to want to talk about it afterwards. So if uh, we didn't hit, if we didn't answer a question or didn't hit a topic that you were looking forward to us hitting in this episode, uh, yeah, go on our, uh, we saw something scary Facebook group and we'll discuss it there, you know, more in depth. Absolutely. So you guys heard Derek talking about uh, Lucy texting him, which by the way, Hey Lucy, thanks for listening. Um, You can text us and you can leave us voicemails as well. We have a Google voice number set up for the show that sends us messages whenever we, uh, whenever we get, you know, either a text message or a voicemail there. So if you want to text, saw something scary, the phone number to do that is 615-486-4138. Again, we'd love to get a text, love to get a voicemail. If it's something that we can, we'll play on air. Um, Again, that number is 615-486-4138. So if you got something you want to text in rather than go into the subreddit or Twitter or Facebook group, uh, hit us up. We'd love to catch that message. Uh, just last point on the box office there. This apparently was the biggest opening ever for A24. Um, and it came in under their budget. So it opened at number four, brought in 13 million. Again, that's the best for A24, which tops their previous one, uh, which was The Witch, interestingly enough. Uh, it opened to 8.8 million, went on to get, um, I think, 20 a little over 20 million as of the day we're recording and obviously covered their budget, which was reported at 10 million. So this has been a you know precedent setter for a 24 and it's made its budget back. And I think, I hope they make all the money in the world because they really delivered a, a, a beautiful horror movie here. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping that if, if the witch opened big for them and this movie does well for them, maybe we'll get some more of this arty horror from a 24. Maybe they'll follow the money in that way. And I'm, I'm all for it, but, Based on what they picked for their first two, yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know what? Here's here's something that we I want to backtrack and talk about for just a second. Yeah, uh, let's do it. And I know we're we're kind of running long on this one, but uh, dude, we've got to talk about Annie cutting her head off. Oh my gosh, man. Okay, well, you go ahead. I have thoughts, but you lead the way here. Uh, to me, that is not only the scariest part of the movie, uh, but it's also the most. Trying to think of the right word to say on this, uh, it, it, it invoked the uh, most visceral reaction from me, uh, almost to the point where I almost thought to put my hands over my eyes. Um, it reminded me, and, and this is another reason I think why this movie reminds me so much of Mother. It reminded me, um, to a lesser extent, but but of the same, of that scene in Mother with the baby. Yeah, yeah, good call. Uh, and it just, it, yeah, I mean, it just I, I curled up into a ball in the theater uh, while I was watching it. I, I was going back through uh, some of the stuff that Lucy and I were talking about, and this is something that she said about the movie that I, I 100% agree with her on. Uh, she said, it's definitely one of the best of its genre, but I don't think I actually liked it. Hmm. And I think you and I kind of talked about that too, almost feeling disappointed in the movie, uh, not disappointed in, in spending the two hours watching or whatnot, but just, you know, this movie had been hailed as the exorcist of our generation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which of course they said the same thing about the Bob and they said the same thing about it follows and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I was, you know, you and I both watched the trailer on that. You and I had been very excited about this movie for, I guess, what the last six months now. And I felt a little disappointed walking out of the theater. Um, but I, I think that Lucy kind of hit it on the head. Like, this movie's great, but I don't know if I'll ever really go back and revisit. Like, this isn't a movie that I'm going to pick up and put in my collection. 
Well, brother, there's so much there I want to respond to. Um, one, you know, the, the, the scene of her cutting her head off. The thing that, that killed me the most in that is that she kept her eyes locked on Peter the whole time. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just really chilling. There's two scenes in this movie that I normally hate in a horror movie. One was when they go back kind of in a smash cut to Charlie's disembodied head laying on the side of the road being eaten by ants. Mm-hmm. And I was I was like angry about that because I'm like we don't need that. That doesn't do one bit of anything to increase the horror of what just happened. It's just gratuitous. Right. Yeah. By the time we get to the end of the movie, though, and you see that head stuck up on the uh, effigy of Paymon in the in the loft, I realized why they did it. It's so we would recognize right. basically. Um, so I thought, okay, you've justified that gory nastiness. That that's the same thing with her cutting her head off. Like I thought, this is this is the kind of thing I would normally hate. But that that she does it while she's staring at her son, who may be possessed by the entity making her hands do this to her. And she's just stuck there along for the ride. Dude, it was you said chilling. I had the same experience of like wanting to drop into a ball. Uh, Yeah, it I don't want to say it scared me so much as it like disturbed me. Yeah, you know, that's probably the better way of putting it. Um, it. It wasn't scary as much as it was just disturbing and just it was that real WTF kind of moment. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that to be critical. Like, I think this movie wants to mess with your head and mess with your stomach. And that movie did that. That scene did that for me. Yeah, for well, sure. The the second end of what you said, I think, is a great segue to get into kind of our conclusion. Derek, would you say we saw something scary here? No. Okay. No, um, we saw something unnerving. Um, we saw something uh, very uh, crazy and despondent. But I don't. I really, there was really not a a certain time where I felt where I felt scared, um, uneasy, on edge. Yeah, uh, you know all those things, but 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 not scared. Well, I don't. I don't think you're wrong on that. I'm going to say we did see something scary um, only on this point. When Peter wakes up in the empty house after his dad's been cooked and Annie is in the background crawling around on the ceiling, the threat she represented to like leap down on him and do awful things to him all the way through her chasing him up into the attic and then floating on the ceiling, banging her head there. Mm-hmm. I think in part because I didn't know what she was going to do to him. I felt, yeah, I felt that that scene was scary. And I think if you're not me and you, some of the other people we we have met through this podcast who are like devotees of horror, I think most people would have a hard time sleeping after seeing that if they had kind of just plugged into this movie and went along for the ride. So I don't think this movie is particularly scary. But just based on that little section, I'm going to say, I think I saw something scary here. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, you and I watch. You know, obviously we watch at least a horror movie a week, uh, so you do tend to become desensitized to certain things like that. And you're probably right to 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 your uh, average Joe uh, movie fan that goes to watch this movie. They probably would be scary. So I I, I will agree with you in that. Um, personally, I didn't find anything scary, but. I think the general population uh, would. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, Unnerving earlier is the adjective you used, and I think that's the best one to put on this movie. Maybe not scary, but unnerving. Uh, I'm with you, though. It didn't live up to the hype. Uh, this, this was a legitimately provocative movie again, unnerving. I think there ha- there's a scary element, but it doesn't even, it doesn't seem to belong to the same category as the, the exorcist or some, some other scary movies we watched that were lesser quality films, but were legitimately scary. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. 
Um, so also what you said that Lucy gave you, I completely agree. I will never watch this cut of this movie again. I think people who are interested in going back may spend a lot of time doing that and like sussing out all the clues and details about Paymon and his relationship to Charlie and, you know, the clues that are there. I think this movie will have legs for a lot of people, but I'm not going back. I will go back and watch the deleted scenes. I'll go back. Mm -hmm. If there's ever a three hour cut released, I would watch that. Mm -hmm. But I'm like you, I'm not buying this movie and not adding it to any kind of collection, digital or physical. And again, if it's just this cut again, when it, when it's released, I'm not going to do that. I'll go look at some of the surrounding details, but I just don't feel like going back to this movie ever again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that on the table, then scale of one to 10, what would you give this movie? You know, I think that I told you six and a half when I first watched it. Um, since then, I've kind of become obsessed with it a little bit mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, obsessed with the um, with the history of Paymon and, and just everything about it. And so I really I kind of think that I'd go seven, seven and a half to, to really to really seal the deal Uh yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say seven and a half. Well, you've you've really mirrored my experience too. I think I was kind of lowballing this movie initially because of my sense that like it wasn't all that scary, and um, I don't think I'm going to go back to watch it again. So I know I was at like six, six and a half too. Um, but it, it is all the the way the movie hangs with you, and you keep thinking about it the way that it lends itself to kind of peeling the onion and seeing more details underneath. And, and really a lot of the craftsmanship the, from, uh, from the director that makes me think I, I'm going to bump mine all the way up to seven and a half. I've probably never done that before for a movie that I know I'll never watch again. But the thing you and I said in that initial phone call when you got done watching it is I'm really happy I spent money to watch this movie in theater. Like it it really yeah. scratched the itch of what I wanted from that experience that I'm not going to go back and watch it as many times as I watch Get Out. That's OK. This movie delivered on the on the cost of the ticket. And I'm very happy to praise it for that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and, you know, it's it's uh I think it deserves 7.5 just because it is a movie that it sticks with you. Um, but also it has evoked, um, I, I've thought about this movie more than I've probably thought about any other movie that we've seen since mother, Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a quiet place is up there too, but this movie, it sticks with you and it, you continue to have questions. I continue to think about like, Oh, well, you know, this and this and this, and, you know, oh yeah, remember the the payment symbol was on this thing and it was on here and stuff and so uh, this thing sticks with you, man. And it's uh, yeah. So I think you know for that alone, that's that's why I would even give it a seven and a half. Well said, well said. So guys, that's our two cents on the movie. Uh, we would love to hear back from you about your thoughts on the film. Uh, again, we've we've kind of hit several different times uh, ways you can get on and 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 give us your thoughts. But also, I think if you use that Facebook group, particularly you're going to find a community of people that uh, will be glad to talk through this movie with you and, and you'll, you'll find some thought provoking stuff coming from other people. So um, let me encourage you to do that. I also want to give you a heads up for those of you who are big podcast listeners beyond saw something scary, which by the way, thank you for your uh, listening to this episode. We appreciate every one of you. If you want to hear more on this um, movie, particularly from the director, I, I would let you know that I have found the episode on hereditary from slates, cultural, Gab Fest, pretty interesting. Um, Straight Chilling did an episode on this movie that I thought was pretty good. 
And then uh, there was one more where they, they interviewed the director that I thought was really worth tracking down. Oh, it was Studio 360 with Kurt Anderson. Um, he gets into, you know, family life, other things that are scary, movies that have, you know, impacted uh, Aerie on this. And so if, if you're looking for more content on the subject, there's three that I would I'd throw at you. Uh, speaking of more content, Derek, where can they find you on the interwebs? Man, you can find me at Derek Zoo on uh, on most social media platforms, and uh, got some pretty cool uh, got some pretty cool news. I'll be sharing probably within the next few weeks uh, that I'm pretty pumped about. Uh, that uh, Jeff, you don't even know about. Oh yeah. So uh, pretty pretty excited to to be able to do that. So be on the lookout for an announcement on uh, my social media and also at DerekZoo.com. All right. I am at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. Uh, most of uh, social media platforms also are going to have our show uh, represented at the handle Scary Podcast. That's true for Facebook and for Twitter. We have a subreddit that you can find at forward slash r forward slash saw something scary. Um, again, we, we mentioned that Facebook group. So that's groups forward slash we saw something scary. Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you guys, connect with you through any of those. And, and thank you to those of you listening who are already making use of those channels we would also really appreciate it if you would take the time to go by itunes or wherever you're consuming this podcast and leave us a review we covered those five-star reviews but if you can't muster that one up then we'll take whatever you can give us Uh, it's just so helpful to us to know one what it is you like about the show or don't like so we can improve things but also in the mysteries of itunes algorithm it exposes our show to other people who may be interested so if uh, if you could do that, set a reminder on your phone. You know, next time you sit down at, at a keyboard, fire up iTunes, leave us a review. We would so appreciate that, right, Derek? Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been our review of Hereditary. Uh, Derek and I have some ideas about what we might cover next, but uh, I think Derek had the best idea about the next film uh, to cover. And so, Derek, you want to tell the listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. We are going to uh, we're going to put up a poll on uh, on all of our social media stuff. So. Also, the scary, the scary podcast on Twitter, on our Facebook page, and at the Facebook group. We're going to put up a poll. Uh, we're going to figure out four different movies, and uh, we're going to let you guys vote. And so we'll open the voting. Uh, I'll try to put that poll up on Monday. Uh, well, let's see. They're getting this on Tuesday, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, Tuesday. Okay, so uh, so I'll I'm going to put the poll up on Wednesday. Uh, that gives you guys a full day to to download this and listen to it and let the audio goodness infect you like King Paymon <laughs> and. And uh, and so I'll put it up on Wednesday. We'll run it until Friday, and then we'll uh, we'll have the we'll uh, have the winner. Uh, we'll announce it on all of those social media platforms as well, and then you'll have that uh, the following Tuesday. So if and here's something cool. If you have a suggestion for the poll, why don't you go ahead and throw that at us as well, and then that way. Uh, that way, you're just as much a part of it uh, as anything. So, Jeff, if you've got a if you've got a couple that you can think of, let me know. I'll look see if there's a couple, and then also you guys as well. Uh, you'll have until Wednesday morning to give me any suggestions that you may have, and we'll go from there with it. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you guys have for us. All right, Derek, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I got a phone ringing in the background, so I'm going to mute myself. And why don't you take us home? All right. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, For Jeff Wright, this is Derek Zhu reminding you to stay away from clowns and sewers, blind men with turkey basters, and white people with teacups. Bye-bye, man. Bye.